Chapter Eight of the Lonely Warrior by Claude C. Washburn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Marion was married at St. Grace's early in September, and Stacy was present at the wedding. A number of people looked at him curiously, for it was known to some that he and the bride had formerly been engaged, but they found nothing in Stacy's face or bearing to reward them. There was general interest in the wedding, since Ames Price and Marion Latimer were both prominent. There were no excited whispered comments. No gossip linked Stacy's name with Marion's. And, indeed, it is an odd fact that it was difficult for a man, and still more difficult for a woman, to get talked about adversely in Vernon. This was particularly true if they were socially prominent. In that case they must do something almost publicly scandalous, must literally be asking for it. Which, unfortunately, does not signify that morals were any higher in Vernon than elsewhere. Stacy's sensations were as mixed as ever. He was able to perceive the smooth elegance of the show, made up of the flowers, the soft light creeping through the stained-glass windows of the handsome church, the rustling of costly dresses, the low murmur of fashionable voices, the smiles, the easy greetings, the ushers, and the discreet music of the organ. And he was even able to note that, though Marion was fetching enough to arouse at her appearance on her father's arm, a sudden hum of admiration before silence fell softly, she was not really at her best in that trailing lace and satin wedding gown. No, she was more beautiful in a plain tailor-made suit with a short skirt. She would have looked best of all, with her fair hair drawn back simply and bound with a ribbon, bare-armed, and with a kirtle falling only to her knees. But beneath the surface calm of Stacy's mind fire smouldered. He was angrily stirred, angrily jealous, for he had not freed himself completely from desire of Marion. Had he, after all, been a fool to renounce her? He wondered. He might have stood there by her side in Ames's place but at this he caught himself up scornfully. What? he thought brutally, deliberately chain himself and her to a life of hopeless incompatibility because he desired to possess this girl's beautiful body? Was the craving of his whole soul for freedom less passionate than the mere craving of his senses for satisfaction? Poor Stacy, contradictory, stormy, inharmonious, made up of dissonances, repelled by Marion, yet desiring her, avid of freedom, but avid, too, of hate, an enslaving bond if ever there was one, more passionately and truly in love with beauty than ever before, yet destructive of it in himself, full of power, with nowhere to direct it, hard and bitter, yet honestly anguished by the pain in the world. The ceremony over, he made his way out of the church as quickly as possible, but paused for a moment on the sidewalk to glance at the interminable line of handsome waiting motor-cars. The irony in their expensive patronage of one of Christ's churches made him suddenly smile. Then he set off on foot for the Latimer house, where the reception would be held. It was very well done, he thought, adequate, handsome, er, elegant, without being vulgarly lavish. Roses enough, but not bowers of roses, though Bowers was what the paper next morning would say there had been. Champagne punch, but not tubs and pools of it. Decent air of gaiety, but no riot. Well, you could count on Mr. Latimer to carry the thing off in the right way. It was what he was for. 
Fifty-odd years of careful training, with never a moment wasted, had fitted him for the task. Stacy wondered what Mrs. Latimer thought about it all. Oh, she would probably be as detached as always, humorlessly but not unkindly amused by it. However, he had no chance to find out. Mrs. Latimer was much too busy receiving. His one real curiosity was to know how Marion would look at him when, in the line, he shook her hand and Ames's. He decided that she would be candid, simple and virginal, as became a bride, with no hint of anything in her greeting. But he was wrong. He was unfair to Marion, fancying her far more deliberate than she really was. The swift look she gave him was strange and enigmatic, and stirred him. There was a touch of defiance in it, as though she had said, "'Well, you would have it this way. Do you like what you've done?' And he could not blame her if the words she spoke were merely the proper words. There were people all about. Later he came upon his sister, Julie. "'Oh, Stacy,' she said, "'why couldn't you be nice and go with me to the wedding? Jimmy's out of town, so I went all alone.' I saw you across the church from me, and thought I'd pick you up afterward, but when I came out I couldn't find you anywhere." He smiled at the protective solicitude in her tone. "'Oh, well,' he returned, "'I'll drive back with you to your house for a little chat, when you're ready to go.' "'I'm ready now,' she said quickly, and they went out to her electric. No one else had ventured to make any comment to Stacy when Marion's engagement to Ames Price had been announced. Even Mr. Carroll had only looked at his son in an odd, puzzled way. But Julie had ventured. She had asserted loyally that Stacy was much too good for Marion, and that Marion didn't care whom she married so long as he had money. He had reflected at the time that, though Julie simplified things down to bare essentials, it was essentials that she selected. She was not unlike their father in this, he thought. She returned to the subject now, as they glided along the city streets. "'I don't care,' she broke out hotly. "'I think she's horrid. Of course I know it must have been you who broke off the engagement. Now, wasn't it, Stacy? Why won't you admit it? Why, anybody would be proud to marry you. But then for her to go and marry a stupid person like Ames Price, old enough to be her father, too, less than three months later, why, I think it's cheap. That's what Marion is, cheap.' Stacy laughed, amused at her desire to comfort him. He enjoyed being with his sister, nor was there anything patronizing in his feeling for her. He was not doing so admirably with a complex mind that he could afford to look comfortably down upon Julie for having a simple mind. And she was not stupid. He thought she did rather well with life. Oh, he observed, Ames isn't as old as all that. He's only forty or thereabouts. I'm almost thirty-five. Well, he looks hundreds of years older. Here, take care, Stacy interrupted, stretching out his hand toward the lever, as the car barely grazed on a heavily laden motor van. Julie, you're a public menace. Then you, and he can't do a thing except play golf. Stacy laughed again, this time at Julie's imperturbable calm. Everything's all right, old girl, he said, and you needn't try to apply balm to my bruised heart, though it's nice of you to want to. And they got out, having reached the Prout's handsome brick residence, the plans for which Stacy had drawn. But the maid who opened the door for them followed them into the living room. 
"'Miss Prout,' she announced tragically, "'Annie's going to leave.' "'Is she?' said Julie, drawing off her gloves. "'Well, that's a nuisance. Excuse me a minute, Stacy dear, while I telephone. Go mix yourself a highball. You'll find everything on the sideboard in the dining-room.' And she sat down at a small mahogany desk, and opened a tiny cupboard that concealed a telephone. Stacy obeyed, and presently returned with his glass to the living-room, where he listened to his sister call up to employment agencies to make application for a cook, and telephone an advertisement to two newspapers. "'You really are a wonder, Julie,' he said, when she had closed the desk, "'calm and efficient as they make em. "'Oh,' she returned, opening her eyes wide in surprise, that's nothing. It happens so often that I should be a silly if I were upset by it now. Perhaps you noticed that I didn't even have to look the telephone numbers up in the book. Now we can talk. But just at this moment the maid returned to announce the visit of a Miss Loeffler, who followed close upon the maid's heels. "'Hello, Irene,' said Julie pleasantly. "'Glad you dropped in. You don't know my brother Stacy, do you?' Miss Loeffler gave Stacy a nod and a brief, firm shake of the hand, then threw herself down on the Davenport, crossed her legs, and swung the right one vigorously. She looked about twenty-four years old, had dark, bobbed hair, a small, pretty face with restless dark eyes and a petulant mouth, and wore a brown street suit with a very short skirt. "'Of course I don't approve of you, Captain Carroll,' she said crisply, "'because you are Captain Carroll a tool of militarism in the late capitalist war. No, I'm glad to meet you, but I don't approve of you. No, you wouldn't, of course, Irene, Julie observed placidly. Oh, well, said Stacy, even pity from you is more dear than that from another. Naturally, if you quoted anyone at me, it would have to be someone hopelessly old-fashioned, like Shelley. Can I have a highball, Julie? she asked, jumping up. All her movements were abrupt, like her voice. "'Of course,' said Julie. "'Oh, no, Stacy, don't try to get it for her. Irene will be cross if you do.' Nevertheless, he followed Miss Loeffler into the dining-room, and at least stood by while she mixed her highball. Suddenly, in the midst of the operation, she turned to him and gazed into his eyes. "'What are you really like, Mr. Carroll?' she demanded intensely. "'Awfully orderly,' he replied, reaching out to restrain her hand that held the silver water-bottle. "'Can't bear to see things spilled.' "'Huh!' she said disdainfully. They went back to the living-room and sat down again. "'See, you've both been to the wedding,' remarked Miss Loeffler. "'You look it. Have a lingering odour of ceremony about you. All very smooth and elegant, I suppose?' And she lighted a cigarette. Julie was crocheting. No, Irene, she said, you needn't go around pretending to despise weddings and then come here and try to worm a description of this one out of me. If you wanted to know what it was like, you ought to have gone to it and seen for yourself. Stacy laughed, as much as his sister's keenness as at her guest's eccentricity. But Miss Loeffler was vexed. I don't pretend, she asserted hotly. I do dislike weddings and if I ever want to go and live with a man I shall, without making a silly fuss about it, and then, when either he or I get bored, we'll simply break off." Julie sighed. "'I'm afraid you'll find it a very nervous, wearing life,' she remarked calmly. 
I shouldn't care for it myself, but then I'm... Oh, perfectly hopeless, Julie. You belong back in the 1880s. What do you think about it, Mr. Carroll? About marriage? Stacy asked. Nothing at all. Doesn't interest me. But I should say you people were at least as Victorian as Julie. You're quite as excited about the necessity of not having a ceremony as old-fashioned people are about having one. Miss Loeffler insisted angrily that this was not true, but presently grew calmer. "'Anyway, you're right about one thing,' she said, finishing her highball, then setting the glass down on the floor and dropping her cigarette-end into it. "'The whole question's overstressed. We've got other bigger things to think about. Well, I must go. Just dropped in for a minute. See you again soon, Julie. You going, Mr. Carroll? Give you a lift if you are.' "'Thanks,' said Stacy, getting up. He found the girl physically attractive, and he was glad of anything that would keep his thoughts from Marion. He followed her to her handsome runabout, and they set off swiftly. "'Of course,' she said. "'I don't expect to have a car much longer.' "'No?' "'No. When we have Soviets in America, I suppose such cars as remain will all be in the service of the public.' Of course they may put me to driving one, but more likely I'll have to cobble shoes or something. And a very good thing, too, said Stacy. Pleasant occupation, nice leathery smell, and lots of time to reflect on universal subjects. She frowned. You don't believe in me at all, do you? she demanded, looking at him petulantly. You think we're all... But in her excitement she had pressed her foot on the accelerator instead of the brake, so that they dashed past a policeman who had raised his hand to stop them, swerved madly around the front of a trolley-car that was approaching on the cross-street, sent pedestrians flying to left and right, and returned to a normal speed only a hundred yards farther along the avenue, fortunately not crowded, that they were following. Stacy sighed. "'There's not a pin to choose between you and Julie,' he remarked patiently. "'You both try to kill me the same afternoon.' Miss Loeffler laughed girlishly. "'That was stupid of me,' she admitted, "'and you were quite the calmest thing I've ever seen. But truly,' she went on earnestly, keeping the car, however, at a discreet twelve miles an hour, "'it's serious. You'd be surprised to know how much is stirring deep, deep down here in Vernon, that you'd think was a positive stronghold of capitalism. Come with me now, will you?' she said eagerly, "'and let me show you.' Show me what? People who are really thinking, people who get together and see things straight, the social revolution, Bolshevism. Dear me, said Stacy, I knew Vernon was no longer provincial, but I had no idea it was so metropolitan as all that. Oh, you can laugh, she returned darkly, but you'll see. Of course, you understand we trust your discretion. Of course. She turned off from the avenue, and stopped the car before an office building. "'We meet here,' she announced, "'in an ordinary office room, because it's so conspicuous that it's perfectly safe.' And they went up in the elevator. The large room which they presently entered had been given the semblance of a club. There were numerous easy-chairs around the floor, chintz curtains at the windows, and across one end of the room a huge oak table with a vase of flowers and many books and periodicals. 
Fifteen or twenty people were in the room, some standing, some sprawling in the chairs, two or three perched on the edge of the table. The air was heavy with cigarette smoke. "'Comrade Loeffler!' several voices shouted, as Irene and Stacy entered. "'And with a new comrade in tow!' cried someone. "'Well, he isn't exactly a comrade,' said Irene. "'I just brought him along, because he's so aggravating and sceptical. But he's perfectly safe. Stacy Carroll, comrades!' And with a proprietary air, she drew him over to one end of the room. He rather liked Miss Loeffler. There was something so girlish beneath her pose. Stacy looked about him idly. All but five of the persons in the room were women. He knew a few of them by sight, and the faces of others were vaguely familiar to him. But he had been away from Vernon for so long, and so utterly cut off from it mentally, that it was hard for him to remember old acquaintances. Doubtless he had met nearly all these people formerly, he didn't know. Anyway, they were of a younger generation than he, in the twenties most of them. He observed that the majority of the women wore their hair bobbed. "'Why so much bobbing of hair, Miss Loeffler? Is it a symbol of freedom?' "'I suppose you might call it that,' she replied, sitting on the arm of his leather chair. "'If you were unlucky enough to be a woman, you'd appreciate the advantages of wearing your hair short.' "'It's rather becoming to you,' he observed. "'Can't say I think it is to all of them.' "'It's stupid and old-fashioned to pay compliments,' she returned coldly. "'They don't interest me at all.' "'Sorry,' said Stacy. "'But it's difficult not to, with all this air of freedom about, and you sitting so close to me.' She jumped up angrily, but then, after a moment, defiantly resumed her seat on the arm of his chair. One of the young men, Comrade Leslie Vane, approached them. He wore a flowing black tie beneath a very low soft collar. Stacy knew him. He was a poet, published things occasionally in The Pagan and The Touchstone, and the son of John Vane, the big flower man. People in Vernon were very nice about it, but naturally at heart they felt sorry for Mr. Vane, Sr., who was extremely well-liked, and rejoiced that at any rate his other son, John, Jr., was normal. Stacy was rather inclined to share Vernon's point of view in this. "'Hello, Stacy,' said Vane languidly. "'Glad to see a militarist with an open mind, anyhow. First example I've met with.' Stacy reflected, as he acknowledged the greeting, that when the Middle West turned aesthetic it became mournfully old-fashioned. Positively, Leslie Vane was going back all of twenty-five years in search of a style. Sure, he said, I'm open to conviction, but what do you want to convince me of? Oh, drawled Vane, the papers have all been read. You're late. There's only just general talk going on now, but it may do you some good if you listen. A little group had gathered around them, and the smoky air became full of words, among which Soviets, proletariat, and Bolshevism predominated. Stacy, too bored to listen, fell to wondering for a moment about real Bolshevism. He shook his head. No use that either. He didn't care if change did come. In a way, he would be furiously delighted if order was upset. Things were so silly. But he didn't believe in any millennium, or even in improvement through change. What had the war accomplished? And so that, most of all, some woman was saying, is the true lesson of holy Russia. 
What do you think of it, Mr. Carroll? I won't call you Captain. He started. Of Bolshevism? The, uh, coming social revolution? Oh, you'll all be raped, then cut in little pieces, and Comrade Leslie will have his throat cut. Not because Bolshevism is so especially worse than anything else, but because that's what always happens when any kind of violence gets loose. And do you know, I don't care a damn whether it comes or not. He meant what he said, as much as he meant anything at all, in respect to these futile idiots, but, since there was no passion in his words, and his face remained expressionless, his remarks were delightedly deemed a skilful evasion of the question. My dear, how could he say what he really thought? He, a captain, and a carol! And an amusing pleasantry. His bold use of the word rape, too, was much appreciated. But such comments were made after his departure, for neither Miss Loeffler's physical attractiveness nor conversation with the fashionable followers of Lenin could any longer distract his mind from Marion. She and Ames would be sitting close together now in the drawing-room of a Pullman car. He escaped from the club and went home. However, he felt an amused curiosity to know what his sister's attitude had been toward her impetuous visitor, so he called Julie up on the telephone. "'What do you think about that wild creature that broke in on us today?' he asked. "'Irene,' said Julie's calm voice, "'oh, she's just a goose, but she's really quite nice and sweet and young at heart.' "'Yes, that's what I thought,' he assented. "'Occurred to me, though, that I'd better call you up and let you know that she hadn't eloped with me or done me any real harm, though she nearly ran us into a street-car.' quite a good time. Now, Stacy, listen, she said anxiously. You won't go and fall in love with Irene, will you? He laughed. I won't do anything without asking you about it first, Julie. I lean on you, you know. And the odd thing about it was that in a way he did. End of chapter 8